All right, man, we're in the second week of a series that we've been calling Weird. And we've been talking about the fact that we as Christ followers are just a little bit different. We're just a little bit weird, if you will. We don't do things like society does them. We don't do things like the media tells us that we're to do them. We do things the way the Word of God tells us that we're to do them. Last week, we talked about that we're not to live by fear. We're to live by faith. And as you begin to study out the life of Jesus, one thing you'll learn very, very quickly is the dude didn't care about the way things had always been done. If you really want to get technical, in every sense of the word, Jesus was the first rebel. He was the first one to go against the norm. It's funny. We live in a day and time where people talk about renegades, and they talk about outlaws, and they talk about rebels, when really there are no renegades, there are no rebels, there are no outlaws, because a renegade, a rebel, an outlaw is someone who goes against the norm. It's not somebody who dresses like everyone else, acts like everyone else, conforms to whatever man-made standards they have. It's someone who is led to do things different, and in every sense of the word, Jesus was the first rebel. He wasn't worried about offending people. He wasn't worried about upsetting people. He had a mission here on this earth, and there was nothing that was going to stand in the way of that mission. He went contrary to what society said. He went contrary to what the religious said. The religious said, hey, an eye for an eye. And Jesus came along and said, be weird, turn the other cheek. The religious said, don't commit adultery. And Jesus came along and said, Let, let's get a little bit weird. Don't even think about it. The religious came along and they were all about rules. And Jesus came along and got a little bit weird and said, hey, let's be all about the relationship. Jesus made it very clear that following him was not an easy thing to do. Here's what he said in John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible, whether you've ever grown up in church, you've never been to church, whether you haven't been to church in 20 years, the chances are you know this verse. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, I've been hanging out in that verse lately. It's such a simple verse. It's one of those verses that we almost have heard so many times that we take it for granted. We've heard it so many times that maybe and sometimes it just loses the meaning to us. It's a simple verse. It's so simple that I'm not sure that we actually get the true meaning of this verse. The Bible says God so loved the world. Not God just loved those who look like us. Not that God said he loves those who believe like us. He didn't say God just loves those who vote like us. He didn't say God just loved those who uh, live in the same city as us or our crap, even the same country as us. It said, for God so loved the world. We serve a God today who loves everybody, and that includes the people we don't like. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds awesome, Gary. God loves the people that we don't like, but he's God and I'm not. But did you know something? Did you know that one of the way God says that we will be known as his followers is by our love? One of the ways that God said other people will know that you have decided to follow me is by how you love other people. John 13, 35 says it this way. It says, but this, everyone will know that you're my disciples 
By this, everyone will know you're a disciple of mine. By what? By this. If you love one another. God says, people are going to come along and they're going to see you. And you're not all going to look the same as Christ's followers. You're not all going to act the same as Christ's followers. But he says, hey, but how you love other people is how people are going to know that you love me. You can't read this book anywhere and not find a call not to love. We're called to love regardless of anything. When it comes to the subject of love, we serve a God who sent his son for the entire world, and Jesus was all in when it comes to love. His teaching on this was so radical, he was crucified for it. It was one of the reasons they crucified Jesus, because the religious light said, God loves you if you do this, and God loves you if you say this, and God loves you if you act like this. And Jesus came along and said, God loves the world. He loves everybody, even those that do us wrong, even those that we don't like. Jesus was so weird, if you will. He was so countercultural. Matthew 5.44 says this, but I tell you, love your enemies. That's hard. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. I don't even like my enemies. And God said, hey, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who wronged you. Do good to those who slandered you. Do good to those who gossiped to you. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I got to be honest, as I read those verses, that's weird. You're telling me if someone slaps me in the face, I need to turn the other cheek? You're telling me that if someone takes my coat, I need to come along and offer them my shirt? What God is saying is that we're to love everybody, even the unlovable. Look what he goes on to say. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Big deal that you love those that love you. Big deal that you love those that are good to you. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those with whom you expect payment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is, the kind, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I, I love that Jesus hammers this point home. He doesn't just say it one time. He comes back and says, love your enemies. Bam, love your enemies. Bam, love your enemies. I don't know about you because you're probably a better Christ follower than me. You're probably a better person than me. But here's the reality of the situation. I am a hard-headed individual. I, I, I need something hammered to me over and over and over in order for me to get it. And Jesus says it's such a big deal that you love everybody, then I'm going to make sure you don't miss this point. 
I'm going to repeat myself, if you will. Sometimes when my children, I want to make sure that they get something that I'm trying to tell them, I'll repeat myself. And my wife will come up to me later and she'll say, man, you just said the same thing three times. And I'll look at her and say, I know I did, because I want to make sure that they understand what I'm telling them. In this verse, God repeats over and over. These verses, God repeats over and over and over that we're to love even the unlovable. You say, Gary, that just seems so weird. Exactly. The Bible says we're a peculiar people. The Bible says we're a called out people. We don't operate like the world operates. We don't operate like the world says to operate. We don't love like the world says to love. We're not called to love with strings attached. We're called to love no strings attached. Jesus says love even when it comes to those who have hurt us. God says love even when it comes to those who have betrayed us. God says love even when it comes to those who have done us dirty are just the simple fact that we are to love even when we just don't like somebody. Have you ever just met somebody and they've never done anything to you? They've never hurt you. They've never betrayed you. They've never disappointed you. But there's just something about them you don't like. We had a guy in our building recently. He came down to do some stuff for us. I'm sure he's the nicest human being in the world. He is phenomenal at what he does. I was impressed by his work ethic, but here was the deal. I looked at my buddy after that and said, I just don't like that guy. He said, why don't you like him? I said, I just don't like him. There's just something about him that rubbed me wrong. He didn't do anything to me. I admit that I'm the one wrong for this. I just simply don't like the guy. But guess what? Even when you simply just don't like somebody, God says we're to love those people. Now, I got to be honest with you. I got to confess something to you. This is a hard principle for me. Matter of fact, I would dare say this is probably the hardest part of the Bible for me. I'm a loyalty guy to a fault. I'm the guy that when you have my back, I have your back. I give loyalty, I expect loyalty. And my human nature is, is when you betray that loyalty, you instantly lose that loyalty to me. My, my natural response is, is when you screw me over, you screw my family over, that I'm done with you. And I'm one of those guys, I know you're going to say, man, that's not very pastor-like. I'm just being honest with you today, something maybe some other pastors ought to try to be. I'm just going to be honest with you today and say, man, I can hold a grudge forever. It's a struggle for me to love those who hurt me, who have cheated me, who gossip about me, that, that, that have hurt my family and hurt my friends who stabbed me in the back, but, but I've learned this principle. It's been a hard principle to learn. As hard as it is for me to love those I can't stand, it takes a bigger toll on me to hate them than it does to love them. Because here's the deal. Unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and a grudge towards somebody is exhausting. Here's what I, I've learned about, about holding a grudge, and here's what I've learned about hating people that I just don't like instead of loving people. When I'm full of hatred, and when I'm full of bitterness, and when I'm full of anger, and when I'm full of holding a grudge, guess what? It only affects me. The person that I'm angry with is not thinking about me. The person that I consider my enemy doesn't get up in the morning and think about the fact that I hate them, but I get up thinking about them. Hate is so much more work 
It's such a burden to carry around. It's so much easier, and it's the greatest gift you can give yourself is the gift to love people. Love is so much easier than hate. But we live in a society that's fueled by hate. It's exhausting to hate. But God comes along, he says, I want you to be weird. I want you to go countercultural, if you will. He says, I want you to love everybody, even our enemies. And for many of us, we think that's an impossible principle to live out. We think it's impossible to love our enemies, but I'm here to tell you it's not. It is impossible in the natural. In the natural state, in my own flesh, in my own mindset, in my own demeanor, in my own mind, in my own heart, it's impossible for me to love those that have hurt me. But as a child of God, we're not called to operate in the natural. We're called to operate in the supernatural. And when you, you, you get to where you're operating in the power of God, the love begins to flow from you. Now, let me tell you something. This verse isn't talking about a type of love as some emotional, mushy feeling that, that we would think of when we hear the word love. Love's a very weird word in our, in our English language that is very limited. If we use the word love for pizza, and then we use the word love for our spouse. I, I love my spouse in a different way than I love pizza. It's close sometimes because sometimes pizza is so amazing, but it's a different type of love. The, the love that God is talking about here is it's about doing good for someone, being there for someone, lifting someone up in prayer and support even when we don't want to even when we think they don't deserve it. I think the greatest example of this that's being played out in the Bible can be found in the Old Testament from the life of David. I just did an entire series on David. I'm kind of on a David kick. You'll have to forgive me. But that's where God's speaking to me right now in the life of David. And the story we're going to talk about today is about David and King Saul. This is after David has killed Goliath. Saul has brought him into his house, and in 1 Samuel, it says that David began to excel in everything that Saul called him to do. Because David was excelling in so much, Saul came along and gave him command of his army, but it didn't take long for the people to start praising David more than they were praising Saul, and the hatred for David began to swell up in Saul. It began to consume Saul. It began to change the way he led and the way he functioned. It, it, it began to affect him in a ways that ultimately would lead to his demise. And, and, and there's so many different reasons as you study out the issue of Saul and David that I don't know what fueled the hatred, but I think that's a very important factor because before you can begin to love those you hate, you got to get to the root of the issue. Because the type root you have will determine the type fruit that you produce. Bitter root produces bitter fruit. Angry root produces angry fruit. Um, jealousy root produces jealousy fruit. Insecure root produces insecure fruit. We've got to get to the root of the issue. And there's various reasons why so many times that we hate people. One of those I think might have been in Saul's life might have been just simply jealousy. It might have been jealousy. When it was announced that David had been given a higher rank in the army, everyone was happy. The people began to praise David. They even got a chance. They had a song, Saul is slain his thousands. David is slain his ten thousands. And the human nature, that natural in Saul, began to swell up. The Bible says this, 1 Samuel 18, Saul was very angry. 
this refrain that pleased him, displeased him greatly. He says, they have credited David with thousands, but with me, with tens of thousands, but with me, only thousands. What more, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Jealousy will cause you to hate people very quickly. Saul was jealous that David was getting this praise and that David was getting these accolades, and the jealousy began to, began to consume him. And so many times when we have a grudge against somebody, we got to figure out what that root is to figure out what the fruit is. Is it jealousy why you just like that person? What is fueling that aspect of you? Maybe the people hate you and they dislike you because they're jealous. They want what you have. They don't see the hard work you put into your marriage. They don't see the hard work you've put into your career. They don't see the hard work you put into your finances. They just see the payoff. And they become jealous because they didn't see the work that went in to the payoff. Maybe it's not jealousy. Maybe the reason people hate you or the people dislike you and we're to love them anyway is simply fear. Fear is a very prevalent word in our society today. After David got back to Saul's house, he's playing the harp. He's trying to soothe the king. He's trying to help him feel better. And Saul takes out a spear and literally tries to kill David while David's happening, the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 18. The next day, an evil spirit came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled at him, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David. He was fearful of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Fear can be one of those things that can be well-founded or it can be unreasonable, but fear motivates us to do a lot of things we wouldn't do otherwise. Maybe the person that hurt you, maybe the person that did you wrong, maybe the person that you have that hatred for, it's because they're living in fear of what's going on in their own life. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was telling me how much he hates his ex-wife's new husband. He said, I hate this guy. I despise this guy. So I began to ask him questions about the guy. And it turns out the, the new husband had never said a crossword about him. It, it, actually, the new husband was a huge advocate for the ex-husband. He tried to help with the relationship with the kids. The stepdad was actually a good guy. And what became the root of the issue was is the guy was actually in fear that his kids were going to love the stepdad more than they loved him. Unfounded fear. Nobody can replace the love of a dad. A stepdad, a bonus dad's a great thing. I am a bonus dad. I love it. It's the highlight of my life. But the reality is this guy had fear, and his fear was causing hatred. We fear what we can't control. Hello, day and time we live in. We fear what we can't control, and then we begin to hate what we can't control. So you got to get to the root of the issue on where the hatred comes from. Is it jealousy? Is it fear? Sometimes it's just simply pain. And pain is a powerful thing. Pain can fuel us to do things that we would never want to do. And I think this is one of the reasons so many people hate. Deep down inside, we have emotional pain. We're hurting. We're dealing with our own baggage, or their person that hates us is dealing with their own baggage. Instead of facing that baggage and unpacking that baggage, it's easier just to hate and throw our baggage on somebody else. 
Saul was jealous of David's popularity and genuinely scared that David was going to be so successful at whatever he did that he knew one day he would become the king. He even got to the point where Saul's son, Jonathan, became best friends and began to side with David. So now there's a double level of pain. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel 20. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. So, so Saul is pained because he feels like his son has taken David's side instead of his side. He said his anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Of course, he's not going to take the blame for what he feels Jonathan is. He's always going to blame the mom there. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? When, when someone's hurting, you need to understand something. You don't understand why this person did you wrong, why this person hates you, why you have to love this person who hurts you, because you got to understand, sometimes, sometimes when someone's hurting, logic doesn't do any good. Saul was hurt because his own son had taken the side of someone else. He had taken the side of someone he had made an enemy of. It didn't matter, don't miss this, it didn't matter that the son, Jonathan, was right, and David hadn't done anything wrong to Saul, but Saul was in pain, and he's dealing with this pain, and his pain's causing hatred towards David. Yet the Bible comes along and tells David, you've got to love no matter what. When people are in pain, whether it's pain from the consequences of their own actions or something someone else has done to them, or even from what they perceive as slights in their life, they're likely to respond by inflicting pain on others. So I don't know what it is, jealousy, um, fear, pain. We've got to get to the issue of why we hate someone or why someone hates us before we can begin to walk in the supernatural. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close out real quickly today, which probably is not going to be real quick today. I hope you're paying attention at home. I hope you're writing notes. Maybe this next week I'll start uploading a PDF that you can download and write in the notes on your thing. I don't know. We'll see if I have time for that. I hope you're enjoying the message, but I want to give you some practical things because it sounds really good to get up here. I understand that and say, man, you ought to love those who hurt you. We ought to be weird and we ought to love those who've done us wrong. That sounds great. It's real easy to preach it. It's hard as hell to live it. It's frustrating to live. Sometimes what the Bible tells us to do makes sense, but the implementation of it seems impossible. I got to be honest with you, without the power of God in my life, it seems impossible to love those that have wronged me. But God lays out a plan here in the life of David that we see the first thing is very simply this. We have to find our strength in God. If we're going to love the unlovable, if we're going to be weird and we're going to love those that we don't even like, if we're going to be there for those that have wronged us, you cannot do it on your own. You have to find strength in God. Bible says this in 1 Samuel 23. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. Thank God for Jonathan. He went to David and helped him find his strength in God. David knows that he's anointed to be the king. He knows that it's not time for him to be the king. He knows that Saul is trying to kill him, that Saul hates him, that David has done nothing wrong to Saul, and in his own power, his natural instinct is to defend himself. His natural instinct is to go out and seek revenge. His natural instinct is to kill Saul 
but he finds his strength in God. It, it takes a lot of strength to love someone who's hurt you. And the only place you're going to get that strength from is God. Because again, it goes completely against our human nature. Our human nature tells us, hey, fight fire with fire. God's strength says fight fire with love. Uh, matter of fact, in the natural, like I said, it, it's impossible. But when you look through the Psalms, you'll see over and over, for those of you who don't know, most of the Psalms were written by David. And over and over, David finds his strength in God. Even when David is frustrated, and it's okay to be frustrated, even when David is irritated, he's expressing to God, I need your strength. He knows that if he's going to survive and he's going to have that freedom that comes from loving people, he's got to do that in the supernatural. And we do that by spending time in prayer, by going to God and asking God to give us the strength for that. We spend that by doing time in his word. I want to encourage you during this time, man, get in the word of God. I understand some of you have never read the word of God in your life. Man, simply go to the Proverbs. There's a proverb for every day of the month. Simply read the Proverbs. Let the word of God get in you. The only way you can do it and love those that are unlovable is to go to the source of it. He's the one who gives us the strength. So, so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to find our strength in God. I don't ever want to be one of those preachers who tell you, hey, you got to do this, but then doesn't give you the step-by-steps on how to do this. Because, man, loving your enemies is contrary to everything about us. So I can preach it and I can scream it, and I can spit it at you today, but at the end of the day, I've got to break it down to practicality for you, and I've got to give you the steps, and I'm telling you, if you work the steps, the steps will work. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to find your strength in God. The second thing we've got to do, and do not miss the wording of this today, we have got to have godly friends. We have to have godly friends. Notice my word choice there. I didn't say you have to have good friends. Good friends are great. Good friends are good, but you've got to have godly friends if you're going to love those that hate you, if you're going to love those that your natural desires hate. You've got to have godly friends that are pointing you to the truth because the only way we pull this out, the only way we're able to be weird in this area, the only way we're able to free ourselves from resentment and free ourselves from bitterness, and the only way that we're able to walk in the freedom of love, and love always wins, don't miss that, hate loses every freaking time, is to have godly friends around us who believe in this principle and are practicing this principle and they're preaching this principle into this life. I can't tell you how important it is in your life to develop close friendships with godly friends who, who, who understand that when you're struggling, they're there to listen to you struggle but encourage you to do the right thing. See, the natural response is to stay mad, and sometimes we think we're being a good friend by agreeing with our friends. That's right, man. You've got every reason to be mad. Man, I, man, hey, we'll go kill them, and I'll help you dig the ditch. It sounds really tough, but what you're doing is you're keeping your friend imprisoned. You're keeping them in bondage. You're keeping them in anger. You're keeping them in frustration. We've got to have godly friends who come along, and Jesus comes along, and he tells us, hey, we've got to respond in a different way. Good friends will justify your anger. Godly friends would defuse your anger, listen to you vent, let you get it off your chest, and remind you that we're to love even the unlovable. 
We, we, we respond with love. When, when you're trying to respond with love to someone who's hurt you or wronged you, you've got to have that godly friend to encourage you along the way. You need to vent. You need to listen. When, when you tell them what you'd like to do, they need to be able to nod at you and say, man, I understand those feelings, but let me remind you what God says to do. Let me remind you that you're only affecting yourself. Look what the Bible says about Jonathan, 1 Samuel 18. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. We need some friends in our life that we have a covenant with. We need to have some friends in our life that are godly friends who are going to come along and they're not, they're not just going to walk with us. They're going to walk through the fire with us. They're not just going to keep us accountable. They're going to be accountable for us. That when we head off into that, that, that wrong place, they're going in. They're not belling until they get us out of it. Listen, we need some godly friends in our life who are going to remind us. David had Jonathan, and he loved Jonathan like a brother. And Jonathan, the Bible says, helped him find his strength in God. If you're going to respond to your enemies with love, I'm telling you, you've got to have a support network around you. You've got to have a group of people around you. Man, there's a lot of people that I'd love to bust in the face. You said, I thought you were a pastor, so let me repeat that one more time. There's a lot of people out there I'd love to bust in the face. There's a lot of people in my town that I feel called to I'd like to bust in the face. But thank God for godly friends who come along and remind me that the jail time is not worth it. That, that when I begin to get anger and I begin to get bitter, that it not only affects me, but it affects everyone around me, but it's not affecting those who've wronged me. You've got to have those godly friends. You know something else that we've got to do? We've got to find our strength in God. We've got to have godly friends. And we've got to look to the promises of God. We've got to remember the promises of God. Let me educate you today for all of you that are fearful today. We serve a God who's not surprised by what's going on in our society. We serve a God who's not surprised by what's going on in our world. We're, we've been punched, we've been jabbed, we've been jabbed, we've been left hooked, but God's still standing. We haven't been anywhere today that God wasn't yesterday. God's not surprised by this. Let me remind you that the promises of God is that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. The, we, we serve a God, the Bible says, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We have a God who has the hairs on our head numbered. Now, I understand for some of you watching on TV, that's not really a big deal because you only got about four heads on top of your head. But my point is, God is a God of promises. And when the frustration sets in, we've got to look back to the promises of God. One of the things that Jonathan did over and over and over is he helped David find strength in God by pointing out the promises of God to David. David had already been chosen by God to be the king. That was the promise. And in, Dave, in God's timing, David was going to be king. And Jonathan came along and reminded him, you're called by God. You have a purpose from God. God has a vision for you in life. And he was constantly reminding him. Look what he told David in 1 Samuel 23. Don't be afraid, he said. Don't be afraid, David. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The funny thing is Jonathan should have been the next king, but he put his pride off to the side because he knew God's hand was on David. He knew God had made a promise to David, and he came along and he promised David of those things. God had promised David he would be king, 
And Jonathan reassured him, even in the difficult times, that God would protect him. Here's what you need to understand. When God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. When God makes a promise, it's a solid promise. And when we're facing the actions of someone who is dead set against us, and they want to make our life miserable, the only way we're going to be able to let God's strength flow through us is to remember God's promises. My wife and I went through something about the last year and a half. We had taken a child in that had a crackhead mess head dad who didn't care enough about his daughter and we took her in and it was amazing instead of people being excited that we were protecting a little girl all hell broke loose man accusations and lies and people literally got up every morning trying to ruin us and all the time my flesh wanted to respond and every time that they would say something I wanted to say something back but then people kept coming to me they kept saying man how do you remain silent how do you not say anything during this time here's why because I remember the promises of God I had friends in my life who reminded me of the promises of God. I had, I had friends in my life who, who reminded me what God says about taking care of children and how, how horrible it is for those who don't take care of children. And I relied on the promises of God during that time. In my flesh, I'd have went to war. In my flesh, I'd have got physical. In my flesh, I'd have sought out to destroy. But I just sat back. I breathed, and I trusted in God's promises. And guess what? God's promises came through over and over and over. When God promises something, you can take it to the bank. Listen, when you want to love those who've hurt you, you've got to trust God's promises. He's got to remember some of God's promises. He promises in the word he'll never leave us or forsake us. God promises that, that when we're tempted, it will, that we'll respond in the right way and not the way that we shouldn't. He, he, he promises that when we're tempted, he'll provide a way for us to escape. He promises that he'll give us strength when we're weary. He promises that he'll give us the Holy Spirit who gives us freedom from problems like having enemies. The promises of God strengthening us during this time. When we're suffering through the pain and the frustration and the anger that comes with someone dead set against us and they're making us their enemy. It's the promises of God that give us perspective during this time. You've got to find your strength in God. You've got to have some godly friends around. You've got to rely on the promises of God to operate in the supernatural instead of the natural. By the way, let me go ahead and say this. Trusting in the promises of God doesn't mean we be naive. God made promises to David about his protection. God promised David he would protect him. But David didn't, didn't just go around like he had a force field around him. He still used his brain. I've seen so many people dealing with this, this virus and like, man, God's got me. God does have us, but God also gave us a brain to make sure that we're doing what we should be doing during this time to protect ourselves. We need to understand that just because there's promises of God, we don't have to be idiots when it comes to those promises. David didn't just walk up to Saul and say, hey, I know God can't kill me. He still used his knowledge in that thing. Trusting God and depending on his promises, again, doesn't mean we be naive. Loving your enemy, don't miss this, loving your enemy and forgiving someone who has wronged you doesn't necessarily mean blind trust. If I pay an accountant, for example, if I have an accountant and I pay that accountant to take care of my finances, they steal from me. They take everything there is from me. They can come to me and they can ask for forgiveness and I'll give them forgiveness. 
I'm not going to allow what they did to me to consume my life and destroy me. But here's the deal. They're not going to handle my finances anymore. Maybe you're dealing with someone, you're dealing with an abusive spouse today, or abusive husband today, and they've come back and they've asked for forgiveness and they promise you that it's never going to happen again and you've offered that forgiveness. That's awesome. That doesn't mean they need to move in the next day. There needs to be a trying period, a testing period of that. So don't get caught up in the promises and be naive in the promises of that. Trusting God's promises doesn't mean that we, that we have to not evilly and purposely put ourselves in harm's way. There's a difference between forgiving and forgetting. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean I have to let you back in my life. All throughout his trouble, all throughout the frustration that David was dealing with, man, he was comforted by relying on God's promises. So so listen, we're going to find our strength in God. We're going to have godly friends. We're going to look to the promises of God. Don't miss this because this is the hardest part. This is where the rubber hits the road, folks. We're going to repay evil for good. We're going to repay evil with good. This is the tough part. It's the one thing. It's one thing to keep from responding to hate with hate. It's a whole nother thing to respond to hate with love. And that's what God tells us to do. We think, man, that's cool. I won't respond to hate with hate. But God says, I want to take it whole another level. I want you to respond to hate with love. He he, he says, I want you to love those that hate you. This is exactly what God tells us to do. While running from Saul, Saul trying to kill David, David gets faced with an amazing opportunity to kill Saul, the guy who's trying to kill him. Now, David knows he's promised to be the next king. He knows that in order to be the king, Saul has to die. He could have justified his actions and done that. But look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel. He came to the sheep pens along the cave. A cave was there. And Saul went to relieve himself. You always got to be watching out when you're relieving yourself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards... David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hands on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and not allowed them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. It was the perfect opportunity for David to do what anybody would have justified him doing. The Saul king is relieving himself. David sneaks up behind him. He sneaks up so close to him that he's able to cut off a portion of his robe. He could have killed Saul in that instant and ended everything right then and became the king. But he knew it wasn't his job to do that. He knew that wasn't what he was supposed to. And in love, he spared his life. <laughs> Man. He, he knew that he was supposed to do that. 1 Samuel 24 says this. When David finished saying to Saul, asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. This is after Saul finds out that uh, a corner of his robe had been cut off. When David finished saying, he saw his extra voice, David, my son, and David, he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. There's power in love. 
When you respond in love to people who hurt you, who cheat you, who stab you in the back, there's tremendous power in that. The Bible says that in doing that, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. You want to anger? You want to mess somebody up who hates you? Show them love. They don't know what to do with that. They expect retaliation. They expect hatred. They expect anger. They don't know what to do when you show love. So listen, we're going to repay evil with good. We're going to make sure that we love those who hurt us. We're not going to talk about them. We're not going to ruin their character. We're not going to do everything in our power to destroy them. We're simply going to love because I'm telling you today, love is powerful. When you love your enemies, it's the most freeing thing. There's nothing worse than carrying that 10,000-pound sack on your shoulders of hatred, bitterness, and anger. It will consume you. And so many of you know what I'm talking about. So many people in this building, all nine of them, because we can't have ten, listen, know what I'm talking about. There's not a person out there today who doesn't know what I'm talking about. We've got to love our enemies, and we don't even love them for them. We love them for ourselves. It's the greatest gift you can give is to love because there's power in love. But Gary, they ought to deal with this, and they ought to have this happen to them. And that brings me to my last point, and we're going to close down today. We're going to let God handle your enemies. We're going to let God handle your enemies. He does it a whole lot better than we do it. God is a just God. He will handle situations in the way he deems they need to be handled. Uh, The last thing that I'm saying to you today is, is that to leave the vengeance, if you will, to God. The reason David didn't harm Saul was that he knew it wasn't his place to handle Saul. It was God's. Even those around him urged him to kill him. David knew God would handle it in such a way. (laughs) Because here's the deal. Saul's repentance for trying to kill David was very short-lived. He got over it real quick, and he soon went back to hunting down David. And just like before, just like before, David gets another opportunity to kill Saul. Look what it says. Then David sat and went out to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and the commander of the army had lain down. So he sneaks up on Saul, and Saul's sleeping. Saul was laying inside the camp and the army camped around. And then David asked all these names that I can't pronounce. Who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you. So David went down to the army by night. And there was Saul lying asleep in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. And they said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Let me pin him to the ground. With one thrust of the spear, I'll strike him twice. Don't miss this. Second opportunity, David has to kill Saul. His men are telling him to kill Saul. But David said, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or as time will come and he will die, he will go into battle and he will perish. Our natural instinct is to respond to hatred with vengeance for us to handle the situation But we've got to allow God to handle the situation. You know the situation I told you about earlier about being attacked? We stayed silent through that whole situation. And it was amazing to sit back and watch God 
work in that situation. It was amazing for God's will to be done in that situation. It was amazing to let God vindicate us because God vindicates us a whole lot better than I can vindicate us. It, it was amazing for God to deal with those who had attacked us. Sometimes you got to sit back and let God repay the evil because God is in control. God sees the bigger picture. We want to deal with it, and I understand, but I'm telling you, you got to trust God. He's God in the good times. He's God in the bad times. He's God when people love you, and he's God when people hate you. We're called to love. Romans 12, 19 says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Our problem is we want to handle it the way we handle it. And God says, I've got a better way to handle it. Here's what I want to ask you today. Let me get my shoes back on because i got to get a little bit serious here for a moment. Listen, here we are, sheltered in. I actually saw someone write on Facebook yesterday, sheltered in, and all I can do is think about blank and what they did to me. Here's somebody sheltered in their home, and instead of joining time with their family and their kids and their wife, all they're doing is thinking about the person who wronged them and trying to get the whole world to back them up. What a miserable freaking way to live. I don't know who it is in your life you need to love today, but I'm telling you, you need to love them. We're called to be weird. We're a peculiar person. Give yourself the greatest gift you can give yourself during this time, and that's the gift of releasing hatred. Again, I'm not saying invite those people back in your life. I'm not saying become best friends with those people. I'm not saying do business with those people. But give yourself the ultimate gift, the gift that will affect your whole family and everyone around you, the gift of loving everyone, even those who've wronged us. Let's pray.